Hello, and welcome to Independent Clause, your anthropomorphic writing and literature podcast. Episode 3, Bad Characters, Bad People. Before I begin today, I want to talk a little bit about the Raw Write-A-Thon. Uh, first of all, thank you to everyone who has donated or has spread the word thus far. We've gotten some generous donations so far. Uh, currently, as of this recording, I have hit 17,600 words of my 20,000-word goal. One more solid day's work, and I'll hit that goal. Thank you to everyone who's donated to provide incentive. The write-a-thon was scheduled to end as of October 4th. However, it has been extended to October 14th. Uh, currently, we've raised about 430 after processing fees for the donations. I'll be extending my word goal to 35,000 words. Now, don't forget that if we hit $2,000, Kyle Gold will write a new Devon Lee story, and in the event that we hit our goal of 4,000, he will write a new Cory and Samaki story. Long-time fans of Kyle have wanted that for a long, long time, so be sure to spread the word. It's a long shot, but, you know, I bet we can get close. If you want details about RAR or the Write-A-Thon, you can visit wat.rar, that's R-A-W-R, dot community, or just rar.community and follow the links. For excerpts from the current project I'm working on for the Write-A-Thon, you can visit chriswilliamsauthor.com. Now today, we're going to touch on a topic that is near and dear to my heart. If you follow me on Twitter, you may have seen me talk about this before. Bad characters. Now, I don't mean poorly written ones. What I'm talking about are people who do bad things for often good reasons, either survival or to help others, characters whose actions often cause harm to other people. Now let me preface everything I'm going to say with the disclaimer that should accompany all writing advice. It's subjective, and you are certainly not required to fall in line with my views. Modern fiction abounds with this kind of character. Han Solo fits the mold. He shot Greedo in cold blood out of a need to survive. He survives in the world of the Empire by smuggling and by illegal activity. He smuggled drugs. The, the drug that Han Solo smuggled, at least in the old Expanded Universe, was Glitterstim Spice which is essentially the same spice as the spice melange, in that it allows some sort of psychic power amplification. I don't know, Kevin J. Anderson is a bit of a hack. Frank Ocean, in Ocean's Eleven, is a thief. His actions likely don't only harm Benedict, the guy who owns the casino who stole his girlfriend, but also the people that are employed by Benedict, countless people who probably lost their jobs, and all the consequences that that entails. Every single character in Guy Ritchie's Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is, to be generous, a lowlife. And yet we are pulling for them. We root for these characters. There is, however, always a small hum around any media that portrays this sort of character in a positive light. It's the hum of murmured voices that demand to know why you are normalizing their awful behavior. As an author, you are making that behavior acceptable simply by writing it into your story. According to these people. I'll use an example here from furry literature. In Winter Games by Kyle Gold, he focuses on a protagonist who is a low-level con artist. He uses people, he manipulates them to get what he needs. Now, by all accounts, he is a quote-unquote bad person. If, as a reader, you're unwilling to put yourself in that character's shoes, 
or you want to apply rigid rules of absolute morality, you're going to have a very difficult time empathizing. The challenge in these kinds of characters is twofold. In my view, the author has the responsibility to make it possible to either understand a character's actions or to empathize with that character, preferably both. While at the same time, you have to make clear that these choices are still bad ones. As readers and as people, I feel it is absolutely important to try and view things from the point of view of others. These characters give us a window to being able to do that. The idea that a person cannot do bad things and still be sympathetic has never made me comfortable. It doesn't make sense to me, so I hope you'll bear with my bias on this topic, because it really is directly from my point of view. Villains and antagonists don't set out to start their careers because they just want to be evil. That's a Saturday morning cartoon villain. These people have goals, wants, needs, desires. Sometimes those are based on greed and selfishness, but sometimes, and I would say more often for the most compelling villains, they're based on a character using the skills they have to survive or to achieve their goals. Now, what I see as the tightrope that an author must balance when writing a protagonist is making certain that a character's actions are weighed against the reasoning for them, if a character is enthusiastically involved in committing genocide, then showing them as a family person isn't really going to counterbalance that in most people's minds. However, for a counterexample, if a character has an addiction, but still tries very hard to take care of their family and perhaps is driven to embezzle in order to make ends meet, that's going to be more readily identifiable. The the first character I mentioned, the, the genocidal character can still work, but that is in a tremendous amount of guilt that has to be laid on that character. If they don't see what they've done as wrong, then they're not going to receive empathy from the reader, at least not from most readers. And you're certainly allowed to write that story, but you have to be aware of what I mentioned before about being seen as approving of that kind of behavior or somehow making it a positive thing because the character is not, say, punished for it. Circumstances will help define this for you. A, a character like uh, Tommy Versetti in Grand Theft Auto Vice City is in no way a good guy. He's a mob figure out to make money for his bosses in Liberty City and eventually to craft his own criminal empire. Everything you do in the game is in service of that end, but besides the escapism from the game, I would make the argument that at the point you start this story, there's no other real life possible for that character. He does what he needs to do to survive. If, as a mob character, he tried to retire, he'd probably end up dead, and trying to find a decent job is near impossible in our culture with any kind of felony on your record. It's something that doesn't get discussed a lot, but uh, in Victor Hugo's Les Miserables, that is the entire problem for Valjean. He can't find an honest life because he has those yellow papers that say you were a thief, you were convicted, and no one will give you a chance if you have those papers. We haven't advanced much past that in our culture, and you have to be aware of that. If you're not aware of that and you don't look at it from that perspective, it does look a little like you are 
glorifying a mass murderer. To me, the most important thing is that including characters that aren't what D&D players would call lawful good does not make your story a bad one, and it doesn't automatically mean you endorse that behavior. The flip side is that it's just fiction cannot be used as a get-out-of-jail-free card. If you write a protagonist who is a gleeful murderer and the tone isn't something more akin to Pulp Fiction or Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels or Grand Theft Auto and they aren't punished, you run the real risk of coming across as glorifying their behavior. What I would say to you is this. Make sure you run a piece you're uncertain about through a good set of beta readers, which you should be doing anyway, and be open to their criticism. Ask specific questions about how your character's actions look to the reader and make sure you're coming across the way you want. So let's look at writing a character with meaningful flaws. Most writers learn early on that a flaw has to have a meaningful effect on the character's personality or abilities. We've all read, and most of us have written, what is colloquially known as a Mary Sue. Mary Sues are characters that are perfect. And while they may experience hardship or have flaws, neither the hardships nor the flaws affect their perfection. My only regret is that I'm too good with a sniper rifle, he says as he takes shots that seasoned veterans can't make. A character like that seems interesting at first. There's something we do like about a character who is relentlessly cool and awesome at everything. So many people like classic James Bond films because of this, which has caused no shortage of dislike for the Daniel Craig films. The screenwriters for Craig have tried to humanize him in a way that most previous Bonds weren't. Now, they drew inspiration and possibly tone from the Jason Bourne films, so there is some complaining about that, but ultimately Craig's Bond is believable as a secret agent operative. He has the skills to be an ice-cold killer, which I think certain previous Bonds may have lacked. After a while, though, such a character strains credulity. A character on a Star Trek series who is essentially a Time Lord, who fights with a katana and a tommy gun and rides on a gas-powered motorcycle, whom everyone wants to be or be with, eventually becomes a plot hindrance. If a character can do anything without much trouble, then all the tension will drain away from your story like the water out of a cheap pot of macaroni and cheese. So what then? What do you do? In Cushiel's Dart, Phaedra is willful and arrogant over her abilities. She resists authority in general when that authority hasn't earned her respect. Repeatedly through her trilogy, she comes up against that facet of herself, and each time she changes... A character's flaws are something they have to deal with that can inhibit them from reaching their goals. It has been said before that every character should have three things. A want, a need, and a ghost. What they want is usually pretty straightforward. It's their dream. It's the goal they're pursuing. It's their fondest wish. It's Luke Skywalker's desire for adventure. It's Frodo's wish to be free of the burden of the One Ring. What they need can be the same as what they want, but I would say ideally not. There's a dramatic tension to be mined from the disconnect between desire and need. Luke wants adventure, excitement, 
a Jedi craves not these things. But in the end, he is offered exactly that by Han Solo, and he refuses because of his need. He needs to grow up to be responsible, and he finally does that. He turns down this life of adventure and excitement in order to fly a suicide mission against the Death Star because that has to be done. Finally, there is the ghost. I think this is the most fun, but it's also the trickiest thing to work with. To tie this into meaningful flaws, let's think about how often we tell someone not to dwell on the past, to let go of old anger or sadness in order to move forward. The past can drive us toward our goals, and in that case, the ghost is perhaps helpful. The ghost is something from a character's past that haunts them, that that is an integral part of who they are. In the case of Star Wars, Luke Skywalker's ghost is the specter of his father. His father, the great Jedi warrior that he learns about too late in life. The one he never got to meet, and now he feels he needs to live up to. The interplay between these three things can produce interesting results. For example, what if the ghost pushes a character in the direction of what they need, while they themselves are pursuing a want that is in opposition to it? A young boy whose father was a great hero, who died defending the realm, might grow up pursuing the respect and glory that his father had. Working out, growing stronger, he seeks out chances to be a glory hound and get that adoration. But in the process, he ignores genuine cases of people in need because they won't bring him glory. What he needs is to learn what his father's heroism was really about. But what he wants is glory, and the ghost drives him toward the selfish goal, because he doesn't understand the ghost. And if that character later learns what it meant to be his father, what his father really had done, then it's going to shift and it's going to move him towards what he needs. And that would be a satisfying resolution. And now I've been asked my thoughts on how to avoid protagonist syndrome, uh, which the person defined as the story existing solely for the purpose of a story happening but lacking any real agency. The other characters around them are far more interesting and developed, and they do more to drive the story forward. The first thing I will say is that your character must absolutely be proactive in at least some instances. Yes, incidents will happen that necessitate the character reacting, but they also have to make an effort to solve their own problem. Harry Potter is far less interesting a character in some respects than either Ron or Hermione, but where Harry succeeds in avoiding the protagonist syndrome trap is that he at least tries to achieve his goals, even if he's arguably too reliant on others, especially on Hermione. Your character may not be the sort to take a desperate gamble, but that doesn't mean that they aren't going to try another solution. They're not going to sit back and wait to die, or they're not going to let a chance to shine slip free. There's a saying that we have in the theater, when an actor doesn't know what to do with a character. The advice is universal, and that advice is, make the most interesting choice. Your character may be making a boneheaded mistake, but if it falls within their character to take the action, then letting them try and fail will hopefully lead to them learning from their failure, even if there are severe consequences. 
Second, you can give your character some interesting personality quirks that affect their actions, too. For example, let's say your character spends their spare time painting pewter miniatures. They're going to have an attention to detail that might lead to a solution that the supporting cast misses, because they're not as detail-oriented. Above all, even if your protagonist is prone to it, don't let them play it fully safe. Push them beyond their comfort zone in such a way that their reactions are out of their cozy little box and the results can be super exciting. Another question I got is regarding representation. Can you have, for example, a gay character or a trans character or another marginalized person and have them be flawed? Well, I say of course you can. But you do have to have a lighter touch, and you have to be really sure that it's not the only example of that type of character in your story. It's very easy for a reader to assume that you're making a broad statement about that type of person if you don't include a counterexample. The other thing is to make sure that your flaw doesn't draw on negative stereotypes about that group, and that the flaw isn't their defining characteristic. For example, a promiscuous gay man who tries to act like a homewrecker and convert, quote-unquote, a married straight character is an example of something to avoid unless you have some very serious counterbalancing positive traits, and even then, it's a really tricky thing to do. And once again, your beta readers are golden here. Uh, hopefully you have cultivated a relationship with a good number, and they will provide you with enough feedback that you can smooth the rough edges and do what you want to do without potentially being offensive. I have also been asked about common mistakes with modern protagonists and any pet peeves I have. Um, problems with protagonists are generally the same throughout the ages. Lack of agency, lack of flaws or meaningless flaws, etc., I don't really have a lot of pet peeves on the topic, ultimately. I will say that I don't like empty vessel protagonists, by which I mean that I don't like characters who lack in agency and who are so blandly described that the reader is supposed to put themselves into the role. I used to like that in the days of choose-your-own-adventure books, but nowadays I'm not a fan, and we'll leave it at that. So, to wrap up. I don't like the idea that writing about something equals endorsement of it, but be very careful about how you come across. It's very easy to fumble into actually glorifying bad behavior in a way that might seem like you as the author endorse that behavior. Your characters need agency, and they need flaws that affect their ability to achieve their goals in some way. Now, you can write characters that do bad things as your protagonists, as long as you walk that tightrope of making them in some way able to be empathized with. So, today's book recommendation is Heretic by Rookus. It is a prequel to her graphic novel series Red Lantern and is published by Fur Planet. Born in poverty, discrimination, and fear. The fires that forged Luther throughout his young life were none too kind. Now a man, hardened and angered by the trials he's faced, his many years serving active combat in the navy of his proud nation, and finally the loss of a lover and comrade in arms, Luther faces imprisonment and a possible death sentence for the crime of heresy. The charge? Loving another man. 
Now the desperation of a noble family and the grave situation of one young woman may be his salvation. But to embrace it and pursue a future he has only ever dreamed of, Luther must learn to become a part of their world, a world of intrigue, dark secrets, courtesans, religious zealotry, and assassination. Luther is a man accustomed to fighting his way through life, but sometimes, with love and family on the line, a battle waged by the sword can have terrible repercussions, and the secret which has threatened to destroy Luther his entire life could now land those he loves in shackles beside him. I first learned about Rukus as an artist of great talent, and in my opinion, she's just as talented a writer. Luther is a character who himself does less than savory things in order to survive, but it is told through a very close perspective, and you really get inside the character's head. You can follow his decision-making process, what leads him to do the things he does. So if you want an example of a flawed character, Luther definitely fits the bill. Before I go, remember that the Write-A-Thon for RAR is still ongoing until October 14th. If you can spread the word or donate, please do. There will be links in the show description. Also, October is Furry Book Month. The Furry Writers Guild has partnered with the fandom's publishers and authors to help spread the word about furry literature. There are lots of special discounts for the month, including 20% off all non-sale items on baddogbooks.com and 50% off all issues of Roar and Fang. Other publishers and author offers can be found by visiting furrywritersguild.com slash furry-book-month. Well, that's all for today. As always, check us out on Twitter at Claws Podcast, or send an email to podcast at chriswilliamsauthor.com. If you like the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher or wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast. Uh, reviews really do help get us listed on the uh, site in a higher profile. Now until next time, don't let anything stop you from writing. <laughs>